Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good, good. You're looking good. You're looking good. That's important, right? I hope you're feeling good. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Travis Modrum. I'm a associate pastor over at Walnut Ridge in Mansfield. Uh, I was here, and I couldn't believe it. it already six months have passed since I've been here. Um, I recognized some faces when I came in, and some faces I, I recognized the face, but I couldn't catch the name. But don't worry, one of the deacons said I wouldn't be graded today, so I, I appreciate that. But more importantly, thanks for having me back today. Uh, when I saw you before, they were just had put braces on. Well, guess what? A couple months ago, they put these things called springs on. Isn't that a joy? I'll tell you what, my son had a trip to Medieval Times this week, and uh, I went in their torture room just to see if they used these back in the Medieval Times days. I didn't see them, but I thought people would confess if they had them on, let me tell you. Uh, we've had an interesting week. My wife, uh, Amy, uh, she had been hurting. She'd been limping around, and over the course of the last few months, she'd been trying to figure out why she was in such pain. And they thought maybe it was an ovary, scar tissue, it attached. They looked at her sciatic nerve, and finally, they figured out it was her hip. And so, she had to go see a surgeon. Is there any surgeons in here? Good, I can say this next sentence. (laughs) Do you know the difference between God and the surgeon? God doesn't think he's a surgeon, okay? (laughs) All right? All right, to make sure there's no surgeons, okay? But we're very fortunate. We have a very good surgeon. We went to one in Mansfield, and he sent us to a specialty uh, hip doctor in Dallas. So he found out that she had a tear in her labrum. And genetically, on her dad's side, they had bad hips. And she's only 40. So she was in tremendous pain. My wife has a high pain tolerance. So we went and saw him. And she said, well, if you like, he said, well, if you'd like to get in, I had a cancellation Tuesday. And so she's like, okay. <laughs> okay. So Sunday, we're telling the people that we know at Walnut Ridge that she's going to have surgery. And one of the ladies had the surgery. And she gives us the ins and outs of the surgery. You know what I mean? There wasn't a lot of positivity about the recovery from the hip surgery. He said, yeah, you might as well have just had a hip replacement. She and my wife was like, all right, thank you, <laughs> you know. Um, so she goes in Tuesday mornings, they have the surgery, the doctor comes out and talks to me, and thank goodness he dumbed it way down to my level. You know what I mean? <laughs> he didn't use those doctor terms. But when he got in there, she had ripped a good section, huge tear in her labor, and he stitched it all up. But when he got to the joint socket, it was so bad, that things that he couldn't see on the x-ray, that he had to put two anchors in her hip and put it back in place. And I thought, oh my goodness, she's going to have a rough time to go. So I go see her. You know, they they get you in and out. And there's no stay all night, you know what I mean? You're gone. So we get her in the car, we get her home, and I want you to know she starts running that ice machine. She gets on that CPM machine that sends the hip back and forth. She's on the exercise bike. I'm like, wow. I had knee surgery, and I cried like a baby for the first week I was home. And she's walking around with no problem whatsoever, and she's getting on her crutches. The only reason she's not putting weight on it, because they told her, told her not to do it. Don't put weight on it, but she can do it. She drove on Friday. And right then and there, I knew why men didn't have babies. All right? All right? 
we are sissies, all right? There would be no population if it was up to the men to have babies. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, and if it wasn't dealing with my wife and what was going on there and handling the kids and all that, and they've been great to help out, on the morning of the surgery, I miss donuts with dads. That's an annual thing they do at my kids' school. And they always fill out a paper about your dad or, you know, when they do it with the moms, they fill out about the moms. So I missed it. But they filled me in when I got home. They said, Dad, my youngest son came to me and said, Dad, I filled out the paper on you. I want to give you a couple of the highlights he put about his dad on his paper. Okay? My dad is 42 years old. Bang, that's correct. My dad is 45 feet tall. Okay. My dad weighs 302 pounds. That's hard on a 5'9 frame, let me tell you. I hadn't eaten since I've read this, all right? I used to do valet parking. I used to park cars, you know, to make money while I was in school and for several years. Well, my dad used to do ballet. Don't you know that dads had fun with me when I showed up? <laughs> good times, good times. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you're so good to bring us here today, Father. We just want to glorify you. Speak through us today, Father. In our Sunday school classes, speak through the teachers. Speak through me today, Father. Speak through the music today. And let your name be glorified. We give all glory and honor to you. Amen. Thought we would speak on the importance of prayer in the Christian's life and what can hinder it. Prayer is a conversation with God. You get to talk to the boss, and it's a privilege for us. The purpose of prayer is to seek and to secure the will of God. Prayer is answered only when it is the will of God. We are to pray to the Father through the Son in the Spirit. I looked up a few facts about prayer in the Bible. Did you know there are at least 650 prayers listed in the Bible? There are approximately 450 answers to prayer in the Bible. Paul refers to prayer 41 times in the Bible, and Jesus himself is recorded praying at least 25 times during his earthly ministry. Although prayer can and should be done from any bodily position, the Bible lists five specific postures. In Mark, talks about standing. Samuel, sitting. Kneeling in Daniel, Luke, and Acts. With one's face to the ground in Matthew and Mark. And with hands lifted up, 1 Timothy. In Jesus' model for how disciples should pray, he provides five areas of focus. That God's name be honored, the focus on the everlasting glory. Father, hallowed be your name. Thy thy God's kingdom come, the focus on the internal will. Your kingdom come. That God's provision is given, the focus on our present. Give us this day our daily bread. That God's forgiveness is granted, the focus on our past. Lord, forgive us of our sins and those who sin against us. And that God's deliverance will be provided, the focus on our future. 
In the Bible list, at least nine main types of prayer. The prayer of faith, the prayer of agreement known as corporate prayer. We get together and pray with one another. The prayer of request, it's petition, supplication. The prayer of thanksgiving, the prayer of worship, the prayer of consecration. That's what we do with the babies, the dedication. The prayer of intercession, the prayer of imprecation, where we pray in Psalms, where they pray for the punishment of the of the enemies, and then there's the praying of the Spirit, which is a sermon all in itself, which I won't focus on today. <laughs> kind of makes people nervous when you get to that one. But the model prayer is God's prayer. Our Father, it starts out. In the Aramaic, it's Abba, which is very close to the word Daddy. We're coming to God as his children. Philippians 4, 6 states, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So I ask you the question, what is the current state of your prayer life? I believe there's three categories that most of us fall in. Number one, those that completely embrace prayer. They don't know any other way. Prayer is simply at the top of the list. As the Bible says, it needs to be. We have a lady at our church named Sandra Myers. What a wonderful, wonderful lady. She's in charge of our 24-7 prayer ministry. She's up at that church praying every Wednesday night, Saturday morning, Sunday and Tuesday around 10 o'clock. Four times a week, easily, she's at that church for at least an hour praying. We see her from time to time in our conference room praying with a big book. She comes into my office, Travis, we need a prayer for this. Travis, can you give the pastor this? Because I'd like to see this emphasis on prayer. She is so excited about prayer and she lives it. Isn't that a joy to be around? She's got a spirit that's just contagious. And then there's a second category, and I have to raise my hand. I kind of fall into this one, unfortunately, time to time. Some of us are just half in, and we're half out. We realize the importance of prayer, but we do it on a semi-regular basis. Sometimes it's sincere, and sometimes it's out of duty. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, to pray without ceasing. All the time, we're to be in prayer. We need to be in constant communication with God. God speaks to us through prayer and his word. Speaks to our spirit. He knows the environment in which we dwell. We need his strength. We need his direction. And there's plenty to pray about. When you're in touch with God, he puts you in touch with those categories that I just went through. When you get involved in that, your plate is full with just one or two or three of those categories. And finally, you come to the last group, and that's a group that uh, just fears prayer. There's something about it that just, man, I just don't know. It's kind of awkward. Uh, they hardly ever take part in it unless there's what? Trouble, right? Trouble. It reminds me of the storm that came upon the ship and the captain realized it was going to be a bad storm. And sure enough, 
the ship started to sink. He called out to the crew, anyone know how to pray? One man stepped forward. Aye, captain, I know how to pray. Good, said the captain. You start praying while we put on our life jackets. And by the way, we're one short. (laughs) Don't you know that man's prayer life got intense? I got family members like that. You never hear from them until what? Until there's trouble, right? You know something's wrong, all right? It's like the old atheist, never seen an atheist in a foxhole. Now, is there anything wrong with praying in a crisis? Absolutely not. But I can't, I can't think of a time in the Bible where there was a crisis where Jesus didn't pray. Can you? I can't think of one. But if it's the only time we're praying, then we're not being obedient, are we? Ephesians 6, 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. We should pray that we are in God's will and we're not straying off from what he has for our lives. We should pray for marriages because Satan loves to attack them. We pray for our kids and the environment in which they go to each and every day. Pray for our babies. I remember all three of mine getting that dedication prayer. Brother Al just picked them up and gave them a big kiss and dedicated them to the Lord. Now they didn't accept Christ there, but what a great start. We should pray for the healing of the sick. I can't tell you, I don't know about the Oaks, but at Walnut Ridge, I can't tell you how many people come down with cancer each week. And we pray. People need our prayers. We should give thanks to God for answered prayer. We don't send our prayer list out. We, we don't send it out without a list of the prayers that God's answered. We give him the glory for that. We should pray for those imprisoned by addiction. Pray for our policemen and all our community service personnel who put their their lives on the line every day. Pray for our government leaders. Have you watched the debate lately? Boy, do we need prayer there. But you know what? God's in charge. He knows who's going to come out of that. And he's going to use them for his glory. Even if we don't see it. Pray for our country as China makes their influence known in the Philippines, as Russia is building up their nuclear arsenal, as North Korea makes videos about how they're bombing Washington and the threats they're making. We need to pray for our military, putting their lives on the line for our country every day. We need to pray for the protection of Israel and the Middle East. It scares me sometimes when I hear some of our leaders speak and what they say on Israel. That's God's people. And we got to pray for them. Pray for our missionaries, many who are in these areas where when you start speaking about God, you're going to prison. We have many missionaries in prison. We need to pray for their strength every day. Sometimes they're forgotten. And we need to pray for those that don't know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pray that their life will be changed. And when we pray... We don't need to put a timetable on God, do we? God doesn't own a watch. Do you know that? He's not waiting on our time. I love the saying that God is never in a hurry, but he's right on time. Isn't that so true? Remember, God's answers, when he answers, he answers according to his will.
Sometimes we pray and we already have the answer in mind that we want God to do. Have you been there on that one? I want you to answer it this way, God. It's like the old man in the flood. It was said that there was a flood coming. And a jeep comes by and he tells the old man, he says, sir, you need to leave your house. It's a hurricane coming, it's going to flood. He said, that's all right, I'm a Christian, the Lord's going to deliver me. He said, okay. A few hours later, the rain's pouring down. A boat comes by. Sir, you need to get in the boat. More rain's coming. Don't worry about it. The Lord is going to save me. Okay, sir. Flood waters rise after a few hours. A helicopter goes by. Sir, this is it. It's last time we're coming. It's going to keep raining. Y'all go on. The Lord's going to deliver me. Waters rise. The man dies. He gets to heaven. He looks at God. He says, God, I prayed for you to deliver me. He said, I sent the jeep. I sent the boat. I sent the helicopter. What more did you want me to do? Isn't that just like us sometimes? We want something miraculous when God's given us something logical to answer our prayers. Sometimes we think we're praying for the right thing and we mean well, but God shows us that we should be praying for something else. You know, I shared with you uh, that I was raised by my grandparents. You know, I shared with you the love I had for my grandmother and Likewise, I was very close to my granddad. My grandfather was of the greatest generation. Tough, you know, he lived through the Depression, World Wars. And he was very wild, you know, he loved to drink, smoke, you name it. That's how he lived his early life. And finally, God got a hold of him. And by the time I knew him, he was just a man of God. He wore a suit every Sunday and you know, did his best to follow what the Lord would have him, how he'd leave his family, how he would uh, use him in his life. And he worked for the telephone company. He'd be up on the poles. And I'd come, and when I came to live with him, he'd teach me how to fish and cut up the fish and show me how to flay them. Uh, He was one of those who never could sit still. He always was out in the yard, you know. He'd go at 5 o'clock in the morning in the yard, and he'd come back to eat lunch. He'd go, come back at supper time. He'd be in the chair when the news started, and then he'd be asleep five minutes into the news. (laughs) And he'd start that again the next day. He worked hard, always tinkering. He retired five times. (laughs) He never retires, what I'm trying to say. He had to stay busy, making animal cages, doing whatever he could do, stay busy. He loved the flea market. He's one of those that walked around the flea market, and he rattled his change looking for the deal. You know, you hear those chains going back and forth, and he would take me with him. I thought that was the best thing. I'd go flea market every Saturday morning. One time I made a mistake, right? One time he left to go to use the restroom, and he put me in charge. All right? And a man came by, and he was interested in one of the tools there. Now, I was, a little, I was small, and I didn't know what the tool was, but I noticed everything around it was 25 cents. And I saw 25 on it, and I said... He said, how much is this right here, son? I said, 25 cents. He says, all right, man. Gave it to me, walked on. I was happy. I had that quarter. My granddad came and said, granddad, I got a quarter. He said, got a quarter for what? I said, that tool right there. It's $25. <laughs> and he said, he was mad. He said, son, that was $25. And I said, oh, okay. 
I'm sorry, granddad. And I got him back. About a week later, there was one of those concrete cinder things sitting there. You know, they used to have out front and the chairs and the big old heavy box. And it was gone. And I said, granddad, did you sell that? That big old heavy? He goes, yeah, I did. I said, well, how much you get for it? He goes, I was supposed to get $400 for it. And I said, $400 is pretty good. Congratulations. He goes, well, I only got 100 And I said, why'd you get 100 He said, well, he said, I have 100 now. Can I load it up and bring you 300 later? <laughs> I said, granddad, I lost you 24 bucks, but you lost yourself 300 He goes, I know, I know, I don't want to hear it. Uh, he's one of those that never want to throw anything away. You know, he was from the Great Depression. You didn't waste anything. He taught me that you don't waste anything. He was a hoarder before the show was popular. You know what I'm saying? Sanford and son, when you went over to his house, didn't have anything on him, okay? But he was a loving man. We had a lot of fun together. But as I got older, I came to visit. After we moved to Texas, I came to visit him. And he wobbled to the door. And I said, my, told my wife, I said, you see how granddad was walking? She goes, yeah. And he was 89 years old. Until that point, he could still work circles around me at 89. So we got him, he had some type of infection, fixed him, and then over the course of the next few months, I would get called up there, hey, granddad's not doing well. I came up there one time, he had a mild heart attack on me, just right in front of me, and I'm trying to pick him up, and I can't do anything with him. And that was another heart attack. And I had to see my granddad just slowly start to go down. And boy, that was the complete opposite of what he was, you know. And the more I'd come, the worse he would get. And it got to a point where we had to move him out of his house, and he was willing to do that, and we got him to another place, and he started to get better. And I was praying the whole time, Lord, make my granddad better. Heal him, Father. Heal him. His mind was as sharp as ever, but his body just wasn't there anymore. And so it came about, finally, we got called from vacation. This is it. This is it, Travis. You need to get up here. Say your goodbyes. That happened two or three more times, and I kept praying, heal Heal my granddad. And I'd go see him, and he would sit in that bed, or he'd be at the rehab center. He wanted out of that place. He was miserable. And when I came home that time, he made it, and I came back to Texas. And I said, you know what, Lord, I may be praying for the wrong thing. I was praying for physical healing. And the Lord put on my heart that you should be praying for perfect healing. And don't you know, that's a hard prayer. So I got down on my knees that night at 10 o'clock. About, I lived about a mile from here at the time. And I remember it, 10 o'clock, Lord, if it be your will, take my grandfather. 5.30 the next morning, my aunt called and said, your grandfather's gone. I meant well, but I was praying the wrong thing. When you get your prayer life right, it's consistent and becomes effective, then get ready, because here comes a battle. What hinders us? In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. Let's break that down real quick. Be alert. That means to have your head on a swivel focus. All right? You think of, the, uh, think of the Secret Service. You ever watch them, man? They're just constantly watching, protecting the president, whoever it is. They're just always watching. Be alert. It's the old lookout on the castle that sets the flames and lets everybody know there's danger. It's the, if you played football, you know, if you've been on the kickoff team, 
you better keep that head swiveled or it's going to be taken off. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's what the devil wants to do to us. So stay alert. Your enemy, the devil. So the Lord states it right there. He's your enemy. He's your adversary. People clock in every day, don't they? They clock in for work. You clock in, you're a plumber, you go do plumbing things. You clock in, you're a teacher, you're a secretary. Whatever it is you do, you clock in. When Satan clocks in, he clocks in to destroy, to pillage, to rob, to rape. That's what he clocks in to do. And you know what? He don't ever clock out. And you've seen the people that have been in their profession for 25, 30 years. If you've been doing it that long, you're pretty good at it, aren't you? And Satan's been doing this since the garden. So he's pretty good at it. So your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. A lion. We all seen the lion, right? He's the king of the jungle. He's magnificent, full of muscle. And you don't mess with him. I've been there at the zoo, and I've seen one pace before. And those eyes, that head just turns and keeps on his prey. And that's how he describes the devil. And he uses the term, looking for someone to devour. Isn't that a strong word? Devour. Peter's not saying he's just going to mess with you. He's just not going to toy with you. He's going to annihilate you totally consume you. It's violent, and it's quick. He wants to catch you unaware. Have you ever seen one of those nature documentaries where the lion's in, the gazelle comes by, and boom, it's over in a heartbeat. That's why I'm glad that wall was up when I was looking at that lion in the zoo. Because Satan wants that non-praying Christian, he wants him on the other side of that wall. Because the damage he can do. He doesn't want the praying Christian there. He got Daniel, and that didn't work out too well for him, did it? But the non-praying one, he likes that. So Peter shows that we're in a constant battle. Can we fight this battle with our own strength? Absolutely not. Philippians 4, 13, we're all familiar with. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So if strength comes from the Father, we need to be in constant communication with the Father. What would happen if one of the generals, MacArthur or Patton, if they just had one plan when they went out to war? They got everybody together one time and then sent them out to do battle. It wouldn't have been very pretty, would it? Because the enemy would have countered, right? And if you don't counter back, you're in serious trouble. That's what God's saying, stay with me. Because you're going to go in a certain direction and Satan's going to move a different way, then you need to stay with me. I'm going to show you how to go and get around. Ways in which Satan tries to hinder our communication with God. He wants us to be apathetic with prayer. He just wants you not to really care about it. He wants you to be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You've heard that before? You're always thinking of the end as a Christian. Oh, this world is just this. I'm going to make it to the end. He loves that because you're not in the present. And we read earlier, you need to be in the present, right, when you're praying. Give us this day. Second thing he does, he loves meaningless prayer. Just words, just going through the motions. Sometimes we do it if there's no thought and there's no, there's no uh, emotion when you're talking to God, there's no heart in it, then why do we do it? There's no sense in it. Sometimes we mumble. 
you know? You're at the dinner table and you're hungry. What do you do? Oh, thanks for the rub. Thanks for the rub. Does that honor God? No. But we're all guilty of it from time to time. We just want to get it over with. He loves that. He loves selfishness in prayer. I've been guilty of this, where you get down, you talk to God for 20 minutes, and you look back at your prayer, and everything was about you and your circumstances. Mm, He loves that. And he loves to get us through the flesh. If you remember Jesus in the garden, all of his pain and misery was about to take place. And he asked his disciples to do what? Watch and pray. He comes back three times to them, and they are asleep. It was late. They had, probably had their stomachs full from supper. At that point, Christ says to them, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. These are men that have been close to Jesus for three years. They'd seen, they heard his prayers, his miracles, his teachings, his healings. And they had to know that day that something wasn't right with Jesus in the garden. When you're sweating blood, like blood, like the drops of blood falling from your head, it's probably not a normal day. And they knew this. And he was in a state of prayer like no other day he'd ever had. And they couldn't stay awake. Satan got to him. If Satan can get to those individuals that walked with him, then what's he going to do to us? He loves it. He loves for us to give in to the flesh. We must lower the desires of the flesh and increase in the Holy Spirit. When you step up to teach, preach, serve, and pray, you get on Satan's radar real quick. Distractions arise. When your prayer life increases, and once again, when it's effective, the prince of the world comes to you. On the other hand... If you're walking with God, if you think you're walking with God and Satan never passes you, that means he's walking with you. Hmm. We got to think about that. Why does Satan despise prayer so much? In 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. It's a weapon. And he knows it's a mighty weapon. You thwart his plans when you pray. John Knox prayed and the Church of Scotland came to new life. John Wesley prayed and the Methodist movement was born. Martin Luther prayed and the Reformation exploded across Europe. You want to go to the Bible? Hannah cried out to God for a child in such an emotional way, the priest thought she was drunk. God was so moved by this prayer He gave her a boy. What was his name? Samuel. Peter walked into the house of a dead woman. He sends everyone out of the room. He gets down on his knees and he prays. Then he looks at the woman and he says, Tabitha, arise. Her spirit returns at that very moment. And he helps her out of that bed. David commits murder and adultery. He asks for forgiveness and pins one of the most heartfelt prayers of all time. You can find it in Psalm 51. God forgives him and calls him a man after my own heart. And Elijah, he was very frustrated with the followers of Baal. 
They tried several times to call down the fire from the sky from their God. Of course, it was unsuccessful. Elijah says a simple prayer, and fire swarms down from the sky and engulfs all the altar. You remember that story? And what did the others do? They fall on their face, prostrate on the ground, and say, the Lord, he is the true God. The power of prayer. And some people say, all I can do is pray. <laughs> oh, thank goodness that's all you can do. Infertility, power, forgiveness, raising the dead. That's the power of prayer. It's not limited. What do you want God to do in your life? Are you tapping into this power of prayer? We all need it. I love the old hymn. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. Are you praying for the right things according to God's will and not your own? I found this. I thought you'd like it. It says, I asked God to take away my habit. God said, no, it's not for me to take away, but for you to give, give it up. I asked God to make my handicapped child whole. God said, no, his spirit is whole. His body is only temporary. I asked God to grant me patience. God said, no, patience is a byproduct of tribulations. It is granted is learned. It isn't granted, it is learned. I asked God to give me happiness. God said, no, I give you uh, blessings. Happiness is up to you. I asked God to spare me pain. God said, no, suffering draws you apart from worldly cares and brings you closer to me. I asked God to make my spirit grow. God said, no, you must grow it on your own, but I will prune you to make you fruitful. I asked God for all things I might enjoy life. God said, no, I'll give you life so they may enjoy all things. I asked God to help me love others as much as he loves me. God said, ah, finally you have the idea. Mm. The last thing I want to say is that when you pray, your life changes. Thanks for listening to the Oaks Cast. The Oaks meets on Sundays at 9 a.m. for traditional service and 10.30 a.m. for contemporary service. For more information, you can visit us at discovertheoaks.org.